Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhivkova. Have you ever dreamed of seeing our planet Earth from above, stepping on the surface of the moon or traveling in time? In this episode, we have the honor to speak with Indra Vena, a chief of climate and sustainability at the European Space Agency. Mr. Vena tells us more about the era of new space economy, meanwhile reaching and optimizing the sustainable goal objectives. Listen to our episode and launch into space. Three, two, one, lift off. Hi, Andrea. It is a pleasure having you here at Zeitgeist 19. Uh, my first question to you is about your role as a Chief Climate and Sustainability Officer of the European Space Agency and how does space exploration contribute to the fight against climate change? Hello, and uh, thank you for uh, this conversation that we are going to have. Uh, very pleased to, to contribute to, to that. Uh, let's let's try to widen a bit the concept of uh, space, uh, not only talking about space exploration. Uh, let's think about what space can contribute and in which way space systems and application can contribute to the fight against the climate change. It has to be known that uh, at least 60% of those essential climate variables are coming from space. So they are measured through Earth observation satellites that are currently working and are downloading uh, on Earth terabytes of data every day. And among those data, there are information about those uh, essential climate variables. The second number that I would like to give you is about the way in which those essential climate variables and the other space data are used in, uh, uh, for the scientific community in uh, monitoring uh, the climate change and providing also uh, indications about how to behave in the coming years if you want to avoid uh, extreme consequences of climate change. And I'm talking about the UN IPCC reports. You know that there are working groups that are working on scientific data to give decision makers around the world during the UN conference of parties, the COP, the COP conferences, indication about where we are and which are the measures that are recommended to be taken to avoid further disaster. Well, in the last sixth report of the IPCC working group, which was delivered months ago, is a climate experts, so colleagues of mine, but scientists that have worked on a climate variable were involved in more than 70% of the chapters which were included in that IPCC report. So the understanding of the climate and the scientific analysis of the possible evolution is deeply based on space data. And this is just to make a couple of examples of numbers. Then we can say that also in the mitigation and the adaptation uh, elements of the fight against, against the climate change, uh, we have a space that is playing a key role if we think about application and services which are based on space infrastructures, so 
Earth observation, but also space and satellite communication or positioning, we can have services that are helping agriculture, which are helping waste management and water management, which are helping the production of energy, the transportation, and uh, many other applications that are supposed to mitigate on one side and adapt to the climate change. There are two key components that have been developed in Europe uh, by the European Union and the European Space Agency, which are the systems of Galileo, which is providing precise position uh, from space, and Copernicus, which is a system for monitoring the global status of the planet, not only of Europe, but the entire planet. And these data are available combined with others, and these applications are available combined with others, not only to decision makers, but often also to the final users, so the end user, agriculture, uh, farmers, uh, and breeders uh, in, in that specific case. So in 2021, we have set a number of objectives for the years to come for which we have a check date on 2025, and we have called the ESA Agenda 2025. And among those objectives, which are of a different nature, programmatic, where we want to go in the space exploration, there are also a couple of objectives which are linked to sustainability and environmental protection in particular. The first objective is that wants the agency to increase the contribution of its space project to the sustainable development of society. And this is one of the, my, my, my objectives. So I am focusing on reinforcing as objective of all our activities in terms of space missions and space activities, their compatibility or their contribution to the achievement of uh, the sustainable development goals of our society. At the same time, we have the second objective, which is aiming at making the agency a more sustainable organization. So having a corporate approach to decarbonization and then minimizing the environmental impact of our own activities. And we have adopted the uh, key uh, science-based targets for the year 2030. So we, have, uh, we are aligning uh, our activities uh, to this uh, pathway for a reduction of the carbon footprint of the organization by 2030 compared to what was in 2019. So my role in the agency is to, uh, on one side, push forward for having more and more space projects that are contributing to the sustainable development of society. Uh, what I was uh, saying before, so not only climate change, biodiversity, uh, reduction of anger, so all the 17 UN uh, development goals. But on the other side, I am very much in charge of reducing the global footprint of the agency in the years to come. Thank you, Andrea, for your insightful answer. Uh, you were just uh, mentioning a few institutions, and I was wondering how present is collaboration in the space sector, and how is it going to evolve in this uh, new era? Also, in this case, I would like to, to broaden a bit the, the, the perspective, uh, because uh, uh, in the last... Uh, uh, let's say uh, 60 years space has uh, uh, gone through different phases. Huh? You, you were not yet born, but there was a space race at a certain moment with a number of programs in the United States and in the Soviet Union, which were very much 
uh, of strategic nature. Then we went through a period of collaboration. And this is actually the period that is currently ongoing. Uh, it is uh, since uh, the beginning of this century that we have a wonderful laboratory in orbit at about 400 kilometers uh, upon our heads, which is the International Space Station. So up there, we have a community of scientists, scientists astronauts that are uh, from the United States, from Russia, from Canada, Japan, and uh, many of the European uh, countries, which are within the ESA uh, collaboration scheme, that can collaborate on a scientific purpose. And this is a wonderful example on how space can progress in, uh, in the future through collaborations. There are things that cannot be done if not cooperating and collaborating all together. And uh, this is a very much a lesson learned because the competition or the space race lasted a number of years, but then it ended up in something that was not sustainable, was not lasting over the years. We have had the Apollo mission, the Sputnik mission, and then lastly, the, uh, the shuttle program from the United States, all of them made in isolation. Whatever we are going to do in the future is going to be made through cooperation. Maybe not all the countries that are in the European, in the International Space Station will participate to the next endeavor, but this will be done only through cooperations. And uh, this, is, uh, this is very much the case. But this is not meaning that there is no competition in space. For sure, there is competition. And this is uh, the, the, the very brand new novelty of, uh, of space in the new space era or in the, the era of new space economy, where there are a number of economic operators that all around the world are pushing forward to provide services from space through the deployment of large systems, large constellations that require a large number of satellites to be deployed in space and a large number of launches that must be uh, executed to uh, bring those satellites in space. So there is a big economy that is developing around that. And the big economy also in the downstream services, because nowadays we have very many infrastructure up there in space, and they all can be exploited through services to end users. And that observation is one of the more expanding uh, sectors uh, of, of space. And then again, we have the exploration component. We are going to go back to the moon altogether, not only the United States, but also Europeans are going to land on the moon in the coming years. And we are going to go beyond because uh, the human being is an explorator. And uh, once you are explorator, you are always explorator. So we are going to explore further, uh, maybe the timing of that is going to depend on how much we are going to be solved on the how how fast sorry we are going to be solve our problems on earth and we are going to come back to that but we are going to explore the outer space further and the solar system further there is another component which is the, the strategic component and uh, regrettably the last conflict that is uh, at the door in Europe between Russia and Ukraine has shown how 
space is also important for strategic purposes, for uh, uh, military purposes, to the, for localizing key targets or for having secure communication. So this is another component. And the last, the last aspect that I would like to, to, to raise and to talk about is the, the potential of space uh, of a science in space also to solve the problems on Earth. And I am referring for a, to, to a very promising breakthrough uh, technology that could, if everything is proven, uh, feasible, bring solar, solar power from space to Earth. These, there are projects all over uh, planet and so there are projects in the United States and there are projects in Japan. Uh, many countries are investigating the possibility to grab solar power in space and transfer this solar power on Earth through uh, techno breakthrough technologies. Uh, you can imagine how much this is changing uh, the picture, uh, the possibility of producing energy, I wouldn't say for free because there would be a cost, but surely at a net zero emission since the beginning uh, from space. So this is a, a very uh, promising aspect of the collaboration in space, because also in this case, it's going to be very difficult that a single country will have the possibility to do that. Only the collaboration for this specific topic could bring results. And then I would like to conclude with one of uh, my, my preferred subject, which is the collaboration for reducing the environmental footprint of space activities. And uh, uh, I'm very happy to say that last November uh, in Paris, 23 European, for the moment, European organizations have finally teamed up and signed a statement for a responsible space sector, uh, which is a set of values and principles that we share and we are talking about, I'm talking about private and public companies, so agencies, but also industry, small and medium enterprises, big corporations. So these are values and principles that we share. And we have committed them through the signature of this statement to work together to uh, reduce the global footprint of space activities on Earth. And this is encompassing a number of actions. I don't want to. To, to enter into the detail, but it is a significant step forward for uh, working together again in collaboration and reducing uh, the global footprint and contributing to achieving net zero by 2050. Thank you, Mr. Vena, for sharing more about these crucial components of space exploration activities and reducing their environmental footprint. Um, you mentioned the moon on which we will be landing by 2030 and hopefully one day even on Mars. Can you tell us more about space business and where do you see it heading to? How sustainable can it really be? Well, uh, we are all looking forward to explore uh, further the solar system. And for sure, the, ne the next stop is Mars. Uh, but for the moment, we have uh, in the plans together with uh, the United States and the Artemis uh, Accord uh, the plan to go back to the moon and to have uh, a, an outpost there on the moon and around the moon, because the next international space station uh, will be around the moon. 
So we have one that is around the Earth. We are going to build something similar, which is called uh, the Lunar Gateway around the Moon. And this is the step forward for the next step, which is uh, going to Mars. Now, uh, going to Mars is representing many challenges, especially if we, as you said, we want to land on, on the planet. And uh, this, is, this is going to require a number of uh, decades before being ready for, for that. But everybody is working in that direction. Technologies are going to be developed. Now we have to proceed by steps. And again, uh, it may be opening business, but for the moment, the quest is a quest of knowledge and understanding what is the origin of the planet, how we can possibly found something on that planet which will, that will help also the life on Earth. So there is a, for sure a lot of a scientific purpose in, in, in the exploration of the solar system. The, 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 the traveling to Mars is, is a long story. So before sending humans to Mars, we have to be sure that there are all the security measures that are respected. And for the moment, we are going to be there again with a robotic mission. Uh, together with the United States, we are planning with, for what is called the Mars sample return, that for the first time is going to be to the red planet, grabbing samples and then bringing them back. Because so far, what has been done is in situ, uh, science. So we have been sending uh, robots uh, and uh, um, satellites over there to explore the planet, but no one has uh, brought back any type of samples of that planet. And this is going to happen uh, in, uh, in the coming years as a first step forward. The outpost on the moon will facilitate many things because leaving the Earth uh, is uh, going to be is, is very difficult from uh, the gravitational point. So leaving uh, the orbit of the moon will be much easier. But also in this case, we have to work on the on the outpost. However, again, I'm not saying that there is no business in space. On the contrary, uh, the space business at the service of society contributing to the UN's development sustainable development goal. It's really representing a good opportunity for the human kind. So it is a, a, an engine for uh, innovation and uh, space in this case can really strengthen this, his role, contribute further to the solution of global problems. And in this case, it can be sustainable. So we are looking for sustainability for the, 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 the space application on Earth and we are looking for sustainability of uh, space activities in, in the future and they have already told you that uh, the only way to be sustainable with space exploration is uh, through uh, uh, cooperation and uh, collaboration. Um, we have been providing very much uh, collaboration examples over the time. Uh, I am very optimist because I know that the government's decision maker can work together in maximizing the efforts. Along the example of Europe, I was mentioning two systems in Europe that were promoted by the European Union, Galileo and, uh, and uh, Copernicus. But there are other examples of successful cooperation. You all have seen the magnificent uh, uh, 
James Webb images that have been released by the new telescope that has been uh, developed by the United States in collaboration with Europe and Canada. And this is a, a magnificent, magnificent example of cooperation that is bringing value for the entire humankind. Um, I talked about uh, Galileo and Copernicus already, but let me say that the European cooperation is not only on uh, observation, but it's also on meteorology. We have recently produced a, a, on behalf of UMETSAT, which is the European uh, Agency for Meteorology, the Meteosat third generation satellite, which is a, a technological breakthrough in uh, the detection and forecast of extreme climate change events, storms, floods, in introducing a near real time possibility of predicting these events. You can imagine how much this is going to be precious in saving lives on, on Earth. So all in all, again, I am optimist. I think that space can further progress and the business of space can further progress because this is giving opportunities both on Earth to reinforce uh, our fight against climate change, but also the contribute to the sustainable development goals but also on, uh, on the exploration side, because I, see, I think that if we are going to be very good in managing what are the problems on Earth, then we have to turn towards our natural inclination towards exploration. Thank you for this insightful answer. Um, I would like to expand further on the subject of eventually colonizing Mars, which might have been habitable as Earth once in the past. Um, what have we learned about it in decades of missions and what are we aiming for? After so many apocalyptic forecasts we hear each single day, I would like to ask you what might be the solution and hope for the survival of humanity? These are all very interesting and ambitious questions, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, I, I come back to what I was saying before. Uh, the six decades of space activities uh, have, uh, have given the opportunity to learn a lot about uh, competition versus cooperation. Uh, it is true that the space race uh, to which I was referring before uh, has brought brilliant results in terms uh, of uh, scientific achievement and technological achievement, but in the short time, none of them has been uh, lasting more than a decade. Again, Sputnik, Apollo, uh, the shuttle, the space shuttle, all of them have been remarkable. They have proven many things, but they were not, not lasting. So to me, the, the main lesson learned that we have is that uh, what is going to be built for last more than a few years is something that is based on true cooperation, on ob objectives that are, sh that are shared. Again, take the example of the International Space Station, in the future, the example of the Artemis Accord for the Moon, or the James Webb Space Telescope that uh, I was mentioning before. All those have been possible thanks to the cooperation among countries. And we have in Europe the very good example of the European Space Agency. We have started uh, uh, almost 60 years ago now, with a few founding members, six. And uh, now after 60 years, we have, uh, we have uh, 22 member states, 
22 countries of Europe that have joined efforts. We have achieved extremely uh, impressive results compared to the volume of the budget which is devoted to space activities in Europe, which is absolutely not on the same level, on the same page as in the United States. So we, we can only be proud of what we have been achieving. And I think that not a single result of what has been achieved by Europe would have been possible without this type of this type of, of, of cooperation. So I, I the hope that we can have for the survival of humanity, as you were uh, asking me, even though it's, it's really a question that goes beyond my, my capacity to, to, to elaborate, I think this, uh, this hope lies in the capacity to break barriers, work together, and for a common good. Uh, space is the natural place for doing that. Space is the, the, the place where there are no barriers. You cannot find boundaries, you cannot find uh, limits. So when our colleagues, astronauts, look at the Earth from, from space, they look something that is very united. And uh, it's uh, very difficult to understand how this can be divided. Therefore, for the possible colonization of other planets, mankind must just avoid to repeat the mistakes that they have been doing on Earth in the colonization here. And this requires not only a lot of effort uh, from government and member states, uh, but also from individuals to put the right pressure to governments to avoid these kind of errors. If we are going to explore, if we are going to colonize, this is going to be for the benefit of the entire humankind not for a single state or a single community. And th this is the, the, the other lesson that we can learn. For the common good, we can achieve good results. Otherwise, we are going to make the same mistake that we have done on Earth for another type of colonization. Andrea, thank you so much for all your nuanced answers. And I have my last question to you, and it's probably a little bit out of this world. <laughs> but um, I am holding this book right now. It's by Michio Kaku. It's called The God Equation, and I'm reading it at the moment. And I'm also binge-watching um, our universe series that's narrated by Morgan Freeman on Netflix. And uh, it tells, it explores... Um, and tells us all about our universe through the perspective of animals. And it's just incredible, and I highly recommend it to everybody. But I can't help but wonder, what uh, what do you think about wormholes and time travel, and how they might relate to your work in space uh, in space exploration and sustainability? This is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very deep question, and uh, it is a... Uh, I, I'm, I'm also a passionate of uh, science fiction, of course. Otherwise, uh, I think that I would not landed, uh, have landed in this uh, in this uh, job as I have. Um, we are progressing towards the understanding of the universe, and uh, <clears throat> the James Webb Telescope. It's it's really a precious instrument to understanding better what happened at the very beginning of the universe. So going back. In time and see also the evolution of, of a certain um, stars and the galaxies. So, I, all the scientific community is uh, very keen in ac 
acquiring more and more information from the deep space observation that is allowed by the James Webb telescope. It's really a powerful machine. And this is going to give uh, impressive information also on uh, uh, all the aspects that you were mentioning, because uh, if we can track the creation of uh, black holes, so worms and other elements that are still not completely known in our uh, panorama of knowledge, uh, this is going to be uh, a breakthrough knowledge for the human being. Traveling against time is a dream for uh, generations, I think. Uh, I'm afraid that we are not so close to better understand this, but you never know because in science uh, that there is not a linear, there is never a linear progression in knowledge. There are always uh, uh, giant leaps or uh, breakthrough uh, elements that are contributing to, to, to make the difference. So we are approaching uh, a level of knowledge that could enable this kind of giant leaps and uh, helping us to better understand this kind of uh, possibilities that are offered by the theoretical physics. This is just great. Uh, thank you so much, Andrea, for your meaningful and inspiring answer and um, so much information for us to digest right now. And we are very grateful to you for all the knowledge and experience that you are, you've shared with us and our audience. It has been a pleasure.